This is episode 011 with Richard Drake, CEO of Renters Warehouse Houston. They manage over a thousand properties. And in this interview, we cover how the economic impacts have had a surprising effect on his ability to collect rent, his predictions for the housing market, and what businesses and individuals can do to make remote working the new normal. We are supported by Mammoth Fuel. Mammoth Fuel Bars were created with people like you in mind using only natural ingredients and zero artificial junk. We took no shortcuts in developing this highly functional and portable fuel bar. What are the benefits you may ask? Portable on-the-go fuel, post-workout recovery, boost cognitive function, aids in weight loss, anti-inflammatory, and low sugar. With 13 grams of protein and only 4 net carbs, Mammoth Fuel is the perfect meal, snack, and energy bar where you'd like to go. Try Mammoth Fuel at mammothfuel.com. Welcome to the new normal, where we're talking current events, finances, philosophy, preparedness, and more. My name is Sal, and with me as always is my good friend, Quentin. Each week we dive into those various topics and bring you an inspiring person or message to navigate the world with a positive mindset in this new normal. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now, here we go. Welcome back to the new normal, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Sal, and as always, I have with me my good friend, Quentin. Say hi to everybody, Quentin. What's going on, guys? Tonight's special guest is Mr. Richard Drake. He is the CEO of Renters Warehouse Houston. They were two years in a row named one of Houston's or, or just in the Inc. 5000 list. So two years consecutively, they've been uh, in the Inc. 5000. They currently manage over a thousand units locally. And I think you have a goal, Mr. Drake, to manage under uh, right around 10,000 units um, by the time this is all said and done in, in your career. So we want to welcome yeah, to the show, Mr. Richard Drake. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, we we don't uh, we don't set low bars too often. We try to try to shoot for the stars a little bit. I think for sure. See what we can get done. No, we thank you. We thank you for your time. You were also a U.S. naval aviator. How was that? You know, it's funny. I have a, a friend that was a, a F sixteen guy. And he said the same thing. Yeah, you know, I'd have done it for free. I don't. I couldn't believe they paid us to, you know, nice. you know, give a twenty, twenty-two, twenty-three year old kid a airplane and say, "I'll meet you in the Gulf." You know, it's just crazy. That's awesome. Are you a bit of an adrenaline junkie? Maybe you consider yourself maybe that. So. <laughs> maybe so. That's awesome. I wasn't. It wasn't real fun the time we were off the coast of North North Korea. Uh. And I got lit up by fire control radar, and that was not fun at all. Oh goodness. What happened there? Well, we got as low as we could, as fast as we could, and went the other direction because we didn't we didn't have any uh, technical conflict with North Korea. We were just pissing them off, flying off the coast. Mm. So I guess they thought they'd they'd uh, wake us up, and they certainly did. So. That's awesome. Well, I can imagine that with recent events and and obviously with the COVID nineteen situation, that you as the CEO of a managing uh, entity that is is controlling the rent and payments for people who are renting their homes and, and even from the commercial side that it's it's been a little interesting over the last few months can you tell me the take me back to early january february what you guys were starting to 
look at and try to navigate? And then if you had to take a swing or a big pivot, kind of walk me through these last few months for you and the company. Sure. When this all happened, you know, there was everyone back and forth, right? Is this real? Is this, uh, you know, what's going on here? Is this, is this for real? Is this a serious threat or not? Uh, so we, we took a little bit of an early measure and sent our employees home, uh, closed the office completely. Uh, we had the ability for them to, um, you know, work from home because we were, we're, we're paperless as it is. We're, we're, we're an e-based company. We don't have filing cabinets. We have a couple of full of office supplies, but that's about it. So we sent the employees home early. Uh, so then we, we started hearing the, you know, we're going to have this stay at home, this stay at home, that, and, you know, restaurants are closing, bars are closing, all these people are going out of work. Um, and then we took a look and, you know, they had this, this crazy unemployment deal where they're going to give an extra $600 a week from the federal government on top of the state. And in Texas, you can get up to $521 a week plus the 600. We ran the numbers and basically anybody that made $54,000 or less was getting a raise. So we weren't real, real concerned about rent. We figured the folks that didn't pay rent were not paying rent because they chose not to pay rent. They just, they, this was an excuse, right? Right. So what we did was we went back and we tracked the last six months and we got an average on the first, the third, the fifth, the eighth, the 10th, and the 15th, I think. And then what we've done for April and May is we tracked how many, what percentage of the folks paid um, on all of those dates. And we're, it's average. It's, it's tracking with the average of the last six months. We haven't seen the drop whatsoever. April was slightly worse than May, actually. It was interesting. But we hear all this gloom and doom from the media, right? Sky's falling. No one can pay their rent. It's, it's all terrible. Folks are paying the rent. They're doing the right thing, right? When folks call us and say, hey, I had a problem. I can't pay my rent. I said, well, did you file an employment? Well, these are the type of people who don't know what, you know, the Texas Workforce Commission is. So we had to teach them how to file an employment. So once we got them all lined out, they paid the rent. So if you go at this as a business, as how can I help people instead of how can I hammer people, you know, it works out quite a bit better. For sure. We, We've seen we've seen a lot of changes and a lot of different things going on, but as far as rent goes, it's business as usual. So over the last few months, you know, you mentioned that there's been a lot of doom and gloom, and there's been a lot of different narratives, and and it's not unusual to have one story conflict with another story. Would it be anecdotal to say that? it's maybe isolated to your industry or, or even just your management properties or your style of managing or your, your clientele that they haven't had any issues technically paying their rent or are you seeing this in other industries no. or, or even partners that you have that um, are not, are not necessarily in your area. So one of the things I also do as, as an owner is I'm members of Facebook groups of just property management company owners. You know, they're restricted to just owners and we're all talking and everybody's collecting rent just like normal. It's, it's nationwide. People are paying their rent. You know, the, the story, uh, there was one from the uh, apartment association that 30% of tenants weren't able to pay their rent in April. Well, 23% don't pay on the first as it is. So they said 30 didn't pay on the first in April. So the sky was falling. 
So right. it's just a silly, you know, it was a headline. It's clickbait, right? Mm-hmm. All they cared about is how many people can I get to click on my story? So good news doesn't sell. Bad news sells. So, yes, it's stressful. You know. Do you think that the, the jump in 12% is roughly just lag time and unemployment, perhaps? Sure. There, certainly there were folks that couldn't pay on the first or didn't pay on the sure. first or who knows? It might have been the day of the week that hit on the first, right? And that's a big difference that people don't think about is if the first is a Sunday, nobody pays on the first. Of course, people pay early, but a lot of people, when the first is a Saturday or Sunday, they pay on Monday. So you got to really take a lot of the media with a grain of salt. Everyone has an agenda. The folks that are saying we should all go back to work have an agenda. The folks say that we should all stay home have an agenda. Everyone has an agenda. I agree completely. So basically what you saw in April, you saw a, 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 you know, a marginal increase, roughly 12%, probably due to some sort of lag time in unemployment or what have you, delays. And now you're seeing an upswing in May. Uh, is, it, is it gone roughly back down to that 21% that uh, don't pay on time? Yeah, and for us, it, it was a tiny percent. I mean, you know, in, in April and May, both were... 96, 97% of rent is paid. It's not a, it's not an abnormal month whatsoever. You know, we had out of a little over a thousand tenants, we've had one that said, I can't believe that you're trying to charge rent during a time like this. You know what? You're first on our list when it's, when the evictions get turned on, buddy. Wow. Cause I'm not going to, you have a business, you know, you, you have a business and, and, and you provide a service and you charge for that service. And that's what you do for a living. Just, like whatever it is that they're they do for a living you know Absolutely. has been impacted you've been impacted in some way too so, has, you know and they're demonizing landlords so that these rent strikes they're talking about they're not they're not amounting to anything so what's the if you have if you have an indication of this what's the general mood of your tenants how are they feeling what are some of the things they're doing to cope and what type of dwellings are you primarily renting to people or is it just a, a varied mix yeah, it's a pretty good mix, mostly single family. Uh, the average rent is about fifteen, sixteen hundred, but we have stuff down a thousand dollars, and we have five thousand dollar rent houses. Um, but our, like I said, the average is about sixteen hundred or so. But we we see a lot of people who, or to be honest, most people are pretty bored. Um, you know, you got you got domestic violence up seven hundred percent. That's something we should be concerned about. For, not whether somebody suicides. gets an extra six hundred dollars a week, suicides are up. You know, violent crime is up. You know, burglaries and robberies are way up. You know, those are the things we ought to be worried about, not whether somebody's wearing a damn mask to work or, not, or to the grocery store. Um, but the sky's not falling. Um, you know, we're, we're going along. Real estate's going to change, though. There's a lot of stuff going on that's uh, very interesting in the real estate market. What are some of the changes you foresee coming in the real estate market? What do they look like? I see a lot of... There's going to be a lot of demand for rental property in the near term. And I think in the longer term, there's just, there's going to be more people who thought they were going to upgrade to a bigger house. They decide not to. There's going to be a lot of people who, because of this, don't have job history. You know, they may come out with some kind of law that says you can't, um, you know, can't count against somebody if they were unemployed during COVID, who knows, you know, for underwriting for Fannie Mae. But 
the Fannie Mae underwriting has gotten stricter, so it's harder to qualify for a loan. That means more renters, which is good for us, right? As a as a landlord and right. as an investor in you know single family rental property, they can't build a two hundred thousand dollar house anymore. They just don't do it. They build three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand dollar houses. So the demand for that fifteen hundred to two thousand dollar rent house is just going to keep going up. So rents are going to appreciate more than normal. Um, and I think in the very near term and in the next three to five years, it's going to continue. Where do you see the opportunity for folks who are, who are in your industry or who are real estate investors? Um, I have a business coach who's actually a, a guest on the show, Hans Johnson, who, who talked about and he had his own predictions and he was saying, you know, within the next year, we might be seeing a very good and large opportunity for real estate investors. What is your take on that? Yeah, I think the opportunity is here. I think if you wait too long, you're going to miss, you know, specifically, I'm, I'm looking at Houston and, you know, greater Houston. Uh, you'll miss it. I think the longer you wait, uh, the more problems you're going to have with with appreciation. It's, I think there's going to be significant appreciation. I think the bloodbath is commercial real estate. Sal, you and I were talking about that before we came on. Yeah. There's a lot of companies specifically like my company. You know, it, it's now the norm. Once you get past the, how do we get our mail? How do I uh, get a notary done? How do I do this little process remotely? Once you figure out all those little, those little processes, you go, huh, I'm not sure I want to pay $20,000 a month for rent anymore in a commercial office building. I just let my employees work from home. I think a lot of companies are going to realize the ones that were pushing back against it, you know, Hey, I'll never do that. I'll never work remote. Now they're going, huh, this is not too bad. I don't have to go to work either. Yep. My employees are fine meeting on zoom. We get our things done. We take care of our meetings. Our meetings are faster because we're not sitting there BSing for 20 minutes. Mm. We get just as much or more done. We're not paying for rent. Now what happens? Somebody's going to take advantage of this and say, we're going to have to repurpose all this office space to something else. Yeah. What could it be? I don't know. I'm not the answer, but there's, there's somebody out there who's going to get rich repurposing office space to something else. Maybe co-working spaces get even bigger. Who knows? Let me ask you this uh, right now. Actually, I think what's affecting the Texas economy more than anything is actually the oil downturn. And we could be looking at a very prolonged uh, oil downturn. There's varied estimates out there of how long. But uh, bottom line, when oil's down in Texas, the entire Texas economy goes with it. How do you feel that will affect the economy? And do you think that that will affect the Texas economy much more than COVID ever did? I I think it will. It already has. I think. I think it will, but it's not like it was in, in the 80s. In the 80s, for instance, Houston was oil, period, right? We've got tech companies. We've got medical. Yeah, is it, is it, is it a good thing? Not necessarily. They say you're not a true Texan if you don't like $80 barrel yeah, uh, oil, right? But, you know, look at, look at uh, Austin. It's a damn, you know, Silicon Texan, Valley, yeah. Texas, right? Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, they're not really as invested in oil as Houston is. Houston could take a little bit bigger hit, but houses are still selling. Houses are still renting. It's not, it's not slowing us down. Oh, yeah, it's slowing us down. But it's not shutting us down. And 
a lot of these oil companies are getting better and better at getting this oil out of the ground. And so if it's 20, 30, $40 a barrel, it's not the end of the world. Now, some of them, you know, there's going to be oil companies that go under for sure. They already have been, but we've got the, you know, we got the refineries. You've got to refine and they make money on a spread. They don't care what the, the price is. You've got transportation. They got to move it. All the ancillary services are still there. The only people that are really hurting are you know, the people that are producing. Yeah, it just seems like a good incentive to continue lowering the, uh, the lift cost of, of oil. Yeah, and we've seen that continue over the years. Yeah, you saw Saudi Arabia trying to, you know, make us go broke by continuing to lower yep. prices, and then we just got better and better at getting it out of the ground, and we went, huh, yeah, try again, buddy. You know, they, they they act like they're our buddies, but they're they're not. They're not. Yeah, and they, and they smelled blood in the water, and and basically we've talked about it on the show they did that on purpose, and uh, hopefully we really start to rethink our relationship with them and insulate ourselves from situations like this. We've both been over there, and you know that they're. There ain't half a dozen people that like America. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about the the remote work opportunity. So you've sent a lot of your employees home and, you know, there's there's always that fear. I, I remember when uh, I read the book Remote by the company who now is 37 Signals. Um, the, the CEO of that company wrote a book called Remote on the culture uh-huh. of remote work. And you know, I heavily promoted it within my own company and, and you know, tr- sent it up to the boss. I'm like, hey, this is, could, could we try it with me, right? Because one of the things in the book is take it to your boss and say, hey, can we experiment? I will do it for three days a week and, and see what happens. If I'm less productive, then I'll just come back. Um, but studies have shown that people are more productive, right? So especially in Houston, I know I would spend anywhere from an hour on a good day to, to two hours one way getting to work a lot of people could be spending that time a lot more productively. They could be spending it doing the work. I mean, that's on average four hours a day extra that you could be. Think about your work life balance. Now, if you, if you have two to four more hours to spend with your family, you work the same amount. Let's say you don't work a, a minute more, but you spend two to four more hours. How much more happy are you as a team oh, yeah. member? The, the, challenge people have is can I build a culture can I maintain the same culture when people aren't together constantly mm-hmm. because part of that part of that culture in a lot of companies is that camaraderie of being in the same office together and having the team lunches and you know, go out for, yeah. for monthly you know, birthday lunch together and do these things together yeah <laughs> yeah everybody gets one cake and you got to share it right we had to do that you get too many people you got to share the cake yeah but otherwise you'll have a birthday cake every two or three days. It'd be a huge win-win for companies. You know, you lower your, your operations costs, your fixed costs, but then you could also potentially increase the marginal utility of your employees. And so your utils go up and then it's a, it's a huge economic boon to you. One of the big concerns that the government has and, and people should have is remote. We call them remote team members. We don't call them virtual assistants. They're not virtual. They're real people and they're not assistants. The hell they could be the boss, but you know, you can hire a, person that is equivalent of a 40 or $50,000 person for $7 an hour, in Mexico or the Philippines. Right. And, and now people are going to start reconsidering that where they were afraid. I can't ever do that. I can't have somebody. I can't, can't, I can't walk up behind them and check on them. We've got technology that takes a screenshot every six seconds of their computer. And, you know, they got a camera on them all day. So, are they 
are they a bigger risk than a person down the street? You could argue that they're a better risk because they appreciate the dang job. You don't have to beg them to come to work. Uh, You've got this entitlement mentality in America now. One of the things interesting that, that I've noticed is with the unemployment being so much money, people can't get their employees to come back to work. They have to take a pay cut to come back to work. And, and, and now if, I, if you work for me and you say that, you're going to go find another job because I don't need that attitude. There's been so many stories of, of the repercussions of this unemployment yes. where, I mean, whether you're talking about a bar or restaurant, whether you're talking about even a nail salon, these employees are, are actually disgruntled employees now because they are being asked to come back to a job that is not paying as much as unemployment. And so how do we how do we contend with that as business owners? I mean, does does the answer become, well, we'll just pay you more or do you just say, enjoy the unemployment? I'll find someone else. Well, I would say I'll. I'll find someone else. My wife, interestingly, was mentioning, are we going to have to, is that going to cause wage, wage inflation? Because you can't get anybody to work. And I say, tell you what, you know, I'm, I'm as red-blooded American as, as the rest of them. But if I have Americans that don't want to work and I have a Filipino that does, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll hire the person that appreciates the job. Mm. I, like I have one, I have one employee that we furloughed. Uh, she has a, a very serious medical condition. And she was so concerned about, you know, trying to deal with chemo and deal with, you know, trying to get work done and feeling like terrible. So we said, look, we'll furlough her. And she got to do her unemployment, but she's begging to come back to work. She doesn't want to be on unemployment, even though she makes less at work than she does on unemployment. That's the person that I want. I want more of her. I don't want people that would rather just sit on their butt and and get paid. I also think that goes back to just the media creating this false dialectic, this false conversation, this false narrative of rising to the top, the stories of these quote unquote disgruntled workers who don't want to work. I think the majority, like you said, truly do want to go back to work. They don't want to collect unemployment, but the media keeps pulling out these stories of so-and-so business owners fighting their employees to come back to work because they're making more on, on unemployment. Oh, I'm sure there's plenty of them. Don't get me wrong. But you know, it was a huge mistake and you know, the, the legislature knew better. They knew they were going to cause this. I I can't believe that they actually didn't just say, Hey, well, I had $600 up to 85% or 90% of their original pay, something like that. I, I just can't imagine that it made sense to anybody that has an education past third grade to pay somebody more to stay home than go to work. It's just, it's ridiculous. For sure. Talk to me about the culture that's happening right now. So how long have your companies been working or how long have your employees been working remotely? Oh, it's been a little while. I'd say, oh, it's been since March, middle of March. And uh, they, they love it. They don't have to commute. That's the biggest problem in, in Houston is the yeah. like you said, Sal. You you hated it. Um, they don't like it. You know, they they a lot of them do say, I miss you guys, I miss miss mm. this, I miss that. But they really don't like getting in the car for 45 minutes to an hour each way and right. having to sit in traffic. I bought a Tesla you know, last end of last year because nice. I hate driving and I just let the car drive, you know. And it's just sitting in the garage. I just get in and go fast once in a while. Yeah, everybody's getting three months to the gallon. 
What model do you have? I got the model three with the uh, performance on it. Nice. Zero to 60 in 3.7 seconds. Ooh, in that's a awesome. Sedan. In a sedan. That's crazy. That is crazy. Have what you guys you drag and race a Corvette yet? <laughs> Oh my goodness! I, I was at a car show and a brand new 911 was on the floor, and I looked and it was zero to sixty in three point nine. Like, huh, I'll be done. <laughs> brand new 911 can't beat my little sedan. That's awesome, man. That's hilarious. And it drives itself. It, it, they just they just dropped an update for free that said, "Oh, now it'll stop at red lights and stop signs. You don't have to tell it to." That's amazing. Insane. Oh, Elon's an interesting uh, story. Did you see his charade over in uh, Escapades, I guess, over in California? Yeah, yes. trying to petition. Yeah, what do you think about that? Put his house up for sale. Well, yeah, put everything for sale. Like he's he said he's getting rid of all his worldly possessions, and he's he's either he's becoming like a, Texas. A, hey, come on. Yeah, he's like become a Buddhist or something. <laughs> come to Texas, I'd be happy. That would yeah. be very cool. It's not in his interest in some ways because they said that they sell about 50% of their Model 3s are sold in California. I think mm. they ship them. That's going to hurt. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. You know, he, he That could also be just due to proximity, too. It's easier yeah. to get it there. We may see the same thing also, in Austin. There's laws nationwide that actually prohibit in some locations the retail sale of uh, Tesla. So can't sell them in Texas. You have to, no, you have to no. talk about it and then go online about it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe maybe it's just people who were suffering under those kind of same laws, just driving out. Just yeah, I'll take a trip to California and buy one. And you know, so it could be just artificial in general. Hopefully, we shall see. It's it's uh, now that I have one, I notice they're they're everywhere. You, they're more they are. out there than you than you notice when you start looking for them. They're really neat cars. So describe to us kind of the change, uh, the change within your work structure and how many employees you have now working remotely. How many do you have that have to go to a facility or, or, or actually show up to work and, and a rough percentage of, of savings you think that you've achieved? Yeah, so we don't, we don't have any employees that come to any. We don't have an office. We, we discontinued our lease. Um, we had sold our office last year and so we were leasing back so we just we just terminated the lease when it came due and we just we everyone works from home the only people we have that have to actually go anywhere are construction folks you know we've got to get somebody into a house we've changed the rules a little bit on that so we don't we don't do maintenance that's cosmetic we only do things that are at first we were doing just emergency maintenance only you know, urgent maintenance, ACs out, hot water, water, you know, things like that leaks. And then we went to, um, as they started loosening up, uh, was it last Monday in Texas? They kind of cut loose with the restaurants and all yeah. that. So we went to, we went to anything that is, um, anything that's not cosmetic. So if it's something that that's functional, we go ahead and do that. But if it was cosmetic, you know, had a, you know, a limb on the roof or, you know, there's a hole in the wall, you know, scratches on the wall that someone promised they would get done after they moved in. Something like that. We're just like, you're going to have to wait. Or if a tenant says, I really don't want anybody in the house, then we just don't. You know, there are the paranoid folks out there. So we, we did modify the maintenance rules. But other than that, you know, on showings, 
we, we had all of our agents video every home, do a walkthrough and talk, talk through the home like you're showing it so that folks could see the homes and get a walkthrough without having to go to the house. We've, we've instituted touchless showings where they can do it, do it themselves, contactless showings. Um, and interesting, the data, the data that we got was we have less showings and more leases. So what's happening is instead of going to the store and trying 25 different vacuum cleaners, you go online and you shop for vacuum cleaners and you just go buy the one you want, right? Yeah. So what they'll do is they'll go online, they'll watch three or four walkthrough videos and they'll say, this is the house I want. I just need to walk through it just to make 100% sure. So you know, our showings per lease are way down. There used to be almost two showings, two and a half, sometimes some months, and now it's like 1.1. So it, it's almost every time they look at a house, they rent it because they've already done their due diligence before they went out. And it seems like that's a so traditional been, online buying model where people have been doing the research. 80% of research is being done online for that vacuum cleaner for whatever product that they're looking for. Now that mentality is just shifting over into this new normal, into this different space, uh, a different industry. They don't industry. want to walk through a dozen houses. Yeah, they don't want to walk through all these houses. Mm-hmm. So I've been hearing reports that there's been uh, you know, a, a shortage of building supplies, appliances, uh, those types of things, uh, and that the lead times on some of those items can be kind of extreme, like up to six months on a refrigerator or something like that. Have you seen any of this? Are these reports, do they have any credibility? Not really. I think if you wanted to um, cherry pick and pick one model, you could find one. Um, but if, you, if you're, not, you're not the pickiest person in the world, just pick a different refrigerator, you know, different stove. There's certain things that are sold out, you know, and, you know, silliness of the toilet paper shortage and things like that. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no Clorox cleanup in the store. Right. You know, so there's, you know, there's no, what do you call it? Sanitizer. But um, other than the, than that kind of stuff, you know, I, yeah, this is interesting too. I just fired my dentist today. He charged $8 for personal protection equipment. For my son's checkup. Hmm. We're seeing that in some restaurants. We're hearing reports of restaurants that are having a surcharge or, you know, some sort of extra fee on top of their dining experience. So now you're paying for the food, you're tipping the waiter, and on top of that, there's a surcharge of something on top of the bill. So, I mean, if you really want to start hurting businesses that are opening up, or if you want to hurt your own business, you start implementing these things. Like, let people go back to some modicum of normalcy, normalcy in, in in their in their everyday life. Now you're going to charge them this extra service fee for coming to your restaurant that they're patronizing. And, and you've been asking them to support local, come back, come back, you know, help us. Right. I, mean, I haven't seen that at a restaurant yet, but I, I'm sure they're everywhere. Uh, I, I've, I've actually seen uh, a copy of receipt that had what Sal said, the, the COVID surcharge. It's like we could have a V-shaped recovery, but if you continue to implement this absurdity, that you'll make that uh, you know impossible. Well, I, I'm trying to figure out why a dentist would do that when they're they're required to wear it they anyway. Wear a mask as it is. Yeah, that's so weird. So we'll see what he has to say because I'm gonna I'm gonna I just found out about it. I'm gonna give him a call, have a little conversation. What are other business owners in your in your circle of influence talking about right now? What what has their experience been over the last forty five to sixty days? You know, there's a, a big 
big, uh, broad spectrum of what people thought was going to happen. We had a lot of folks getting ready to make thousands of payment plans with all the tenants and make sure that they, they were taken care of. And I kept saying, guys, this unemployment is just going to flow. And there's no reason to make payment plans with anybody. You know, if somebody said, hey, I can't pay until Friday because I'm getting unemployment, that's different than saying, okay, well, let's, let's uh, waive rent or lower rent for 90 days or put it, you know, we'll just not do, we'll do half rent for the next nine days and raise the rent for the next 12 months to make up for it. We didn't do any of that. We basically said, how can we help? What's going on? How can yeah. we help? Oh, you don't know how to do unemployment. Let me show you. Rents do. We're not going to charge you a late fee. Rents do, though. So you need to pay as soon as you get your unemployment. Let me help you get it. And you, can, you need to call between midnight and 5 a.m. and they'll answer the phone. But if you call now, you're going to hold for two hours. Mm. So we helped them get their unemployment. And I think they were appreciative that we were treating them like we were instead of hammering them for where's my money, where's my money, right? Right. Sending the collectors after them. What are, what are your other entrepreneur and business owner uh, colleagues um, facing right now that, that you know, you're, you're looking from the outside saying, oh, we could have handled it this way, or maybe you could have handled it the way we've done it and, and been in a better situation? Have you seen any business owners who have mishandled the, this situation? You know, I, I, off the top of my head, not really. I think the thing that is happening now, and Sal, you and I spoke about this earlier, is we see that I hate to say opportunity opportunity, but there's change. And you know, you you're a new normal, right? Like you said, things are different now than they were six months ago. And what can we do to modify our business or start a new company that is going to be something that's going to flourish in this in this new normal, right? So people are looking at should I buy more rental property? What type of rental property? Should I buy dirt? Should I buy vacation property? You know, Airbnb owners are getting crushed. The ones that aren't adapting, the ones that are adapting are doing fine. So you adapting gotta, how? You well, what they did was it, it depends. So if you're in a if you're in a destination place, if you're next to Disney World, you have a problem, right? If you're at a beach, you need to say, hey, I'm going to market to family that just need to get away right and folks are my, my buddies that have airbnbs are they're completely full because families are so bored and they're marketing directly to families and saying hey yeah. take a week take, take a day. they went to a two-day minimum instead of three you know did different things for families and they've they've done very well there's just so much opportunity in this time Versus um, comparing to 08, because that was the time where I just got, I got killed. Because it hit us, it blindsided everyone. This is can't blindside us because it's coming. Things are changing. The economy's changing. Like you said, oil, real estate's going to change. Um, it's going to be harder to get a loan, like we said. So rents are going to go up. So this is a time to shift gears and things that you might we're thinking about selling, you might want to rent and watch them go up in value. So if you can shift gears and take advantage of the change, um, you can flourish in a time like this. 
it got me thinking and I was thinking to myself, you know, how, how, you know, Airbnbs it functions, you know, it's, it's a rental property like any other rental property, but there's a lot of traffic uh, that those get uh, that, you know, some rental properties don't. It's a really good marketing platform and they, they get high traffic. How would they go about sanitizing and sterilizing the inside of these places? You know, because realistically, your chances of catching something in one of these houses are probably still quite low. But I, I imagine as an owner, you would want to make sure that the environment was sterile and COVID free. I'm thinking to myself, how do you achieve that? Do you know how some of them are doing it? Yeah, they just, they're paying a little more for the cleaning, um, but they're just, they're just having the cleaning. People wipe down everything. They're just wiping them down. You know, what else can you do? Yeah. Um, but they, I think the interesting thing is what happens next year when it gets cool again and, and COVID comes back. If there's a cure or there's a, some type of, you know, way to stop it stop you from getting i guess there's a company out there now claiming that they have something that will stop it from entering cells in your healthy cells in your body completely and you're not you can open up the world right now we'll see it's a public company so pretty risky to say that out loud if you're a public company and it not be true but if something happens if something happens where they can stop people from being reinfected the v is coming quick if they don't and we continue this drag out drag out i'm not sure about a v but we'll come back it'll just be slow but then there'll be relapses every year just like the flu so we've got to figure out you know how that's going to pan out right and and do we lock down incrementally intermittently every season and and does this become this ebb and flow of business opening up shutting down opening up shutting down and does that end up eroding an economy faster than if we just said you know what we're just going to hit the reset button right and so this this is going to this has got a lot of people thinking and and if they're not if they're not forward thinking i think so many people we've said this on the show a few times too many people are in the mentality of today and maybe even tomorrow, but they're not thinking about next week and two weeks from now, two months from now, and then ultimately two years from now. And that's where people should be thinking. So I, I was re-listening to one of our uh, earlier shows where we talked about food shortages. And this was uh, late April when we were talking about food shortages. And now today coming across my newsfeed is my local Walmart has nothing, no, no meat, no nothing on the shelves. And, and that's of course, anecdotal to my local one, because there's one just across the the river that is full of meat. And so you start hearing these stories, but at the same time, you're like, people aren't thinking about these things or the horde. Um, so, so what do you say to someone who is sitting on their hands, either a business owner or just a lay person, someone who's sitting on their hands and just waiting for the next thing, waiting for the shoe to drop or just waiting for the next you know, round of, of COVID? Yeah, I'm not sure it's a good idea to sit sit and wait. Um it's it's certainly not a good idea to to go buy all the you know, all the insulin out of the H E B that happened in my town. Someone bought all the insulin. Wow. So no one else had any. You know, buy you know, you can go buy all the baby wipes because you think you can clean your house with baby wipes for the next ten years. It's ridiculous. And now people who have babies don't have wipes, right? Yeah. So uh, this, the silliness of all that, but I, I don't think, you know, it's kind of like chemo in a way. Sometimes the cure is worse than the disease. Which the president um, said he didn't want to happen. It, it's 
rough. I mean, what what are the consequences of forcing this state? Like you said, suicide and depression, um, spousal abuse, you know, child abuse, all these things that are happening um, because we're reinforced, you know, and is it is it the right thing to do? I, I'm, I can't say that it's not, but it's certainly not a good thing. It's not a good thing for the economy. It's not a good thing for, for people's mental health. Um, I guess being alive is better than not, but uh, there's a whole lot of folks, I think, out there that have it or have had it and will never know. And the death rate's probably not near what we think it is as yeah. a percentage. We talked about a couple of books that you were reading before we started this show. Can you tell me what are some of the things that have mentally prepared you over the last three months to, to be where you are today? Is there, is there any one author or book that you read prior to this whole COVID situation that you were able to draw upon for inspiration on how to be a good leader or how to navigate your business during these obstacles? Yeah, I read that David Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me. He was a Navy SEAL and he's just a, a neat guy. He was, you know, he grew up abused by his father and uh, ended up his mom and him had to run away from the, from the dad. And he talked about, um, you know, uh, callousing your mind and basically trying to show that when you think you're 100% done, you're at like 65% of your capability. And a lot of times it's easy, especially for an entrepreneur to want to give up and say, oh, this is never going to work. This is not going to happen. You know, they say entrepreneur, one day you're, you're shopping for, you know, Ferraris and the next day you're wondering if you can make payroll. So it's kind of this, you know, roller coaster ride, but he was, that, that book was fantastic. The other one was, what's the one we were talking about? The, uh, the, ownership. the others, stream ownership. And that's a great book on leadership because Very good. when you can, you can take credit, but you got to take responsibility when it goes to hell. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a great lesson on leadership to be able to, to say, Hey, the reason, and my partners and I talk about this sometimes we'll say so-and-so did this. And you say, well, we allowed it to happen. You know, yeah. we're the one that, that made it happen because we're ultimately responsible for all the actions below us. So if, if something happens in, in an organization, you have to understand that you're responsible for everything. And if, someone did something you didn't want to do it's because you didn't lead them well enough or you didn't train them well enough or you didn't guide them well enough. Um, and, and until I figured that out, um, our culture was pretty bad. And now people that work for us love working for us because wow. they, they care. They know that we care about people and they know we care about them. One of my business coaches, Danny Johnson says that if you learn more about people than you do business, you will be exceptionally successful. And I I've think that's that. I've heard. one was not heard is um, what they say. Teams, not the most important thing. It's the only thing. It's the only thing. Mm. Good word well, and, and there's so many good illustrations in extreme ownership about you. We talked about the during buds training They're They're in the boats and this one team is just excelling and excelling and excelling. And then this other team is, you know, they're, they're at the bottom of the list. They're coming in last every single time. And they, the, the commander of that boat is blaming his team. And so the, the cadre switch out the, the boat captains, the boat commanders. And all of a sudden that team that was in last place is now coming in first and second with the original team. 
And so it yeah. just shows you the, the power of leadership and, and just taking that ownership and not blaming everybody else. There, there's so many people, and, and Hans Johnson, who was on the show recently, also talked about, if you are finding yourself in a financial situation now and you're blaming COVID or you're blaming the economy shutting down, if you're blaming anybody other than yourself for your financial situation, whether you didn't save enough, you didn't invest enough, you didn't think about the future for, for any reason, you didn't have some sort of emergency fund, there is no one to blame but yourself in that situation. And that's a hard pill to swallow. But how do you, how do you as, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as, as a motivator for your employees, how do you keep them um, motivated with the extreme ownership mentality? How do, you, how do you lead by example in that way? We are supported by Aerial Digital. Aerial Digital is a full-service digital marketing agency that specializes in custom-designed websites for small to medium-sized businesses. Whether you need a simple one-page bootstrap website or you're ready to start selling your products online with an e-commerce website, Aerial Digital is equipped to help your business. Go to aerialdigitalmarketing.com slash newnormal. That's A-R-I-E-L digitalmarketing.com slash new normal and save 20% on your custom website today. And that's a good one. We basically told, told our people that we care about people. Do the right thing. Money will always come. We give away money when sometimes it's not even, we weren't even wrong. And, but it was, when you look at it, it was the right thing to do. We had a, we had a couple that had a tenant that moved out real quick on them and we have a thing called a tenant warranty at Renner's Warehouse where we will find you a new tenant for free. Well, they were so afraid. They didn't want to rent their house again. And one of my employees was like, but Rich, you said do the right thing. And they're so scared they're not going to rent again. I said, well, they have the tenant warranty. They can get a new tenant, but they're not going to do it. They're afraid. I said, give them their money back. And it was like 1700 bucks. I was like, golly. But she's talked about that for years, that we mean it when we say do the right thing right and if you show the employees that you know i'm not just saying do the right thing we actually do and when when something happens and you know an employee has a problem and we go go take care of your family we'll see you when you're done and we keep paying them and they come back and they're so appreciative and they bust their butts because they knew we cared about them and we knew that family was more important than work those are the kind of things you have to show them and, you know, to show, show them that you care about them and you care about people. I and mean, that's really worked well for us. I mean, it's not worked well. It just is. Right. Um, do what's right. Well, so many people I think are, are jaded as, as employees that look at employers as this kind of servant master relationship that almost begrudgingly show up to work a lot of times, like they have to show up and, and that, I've worked, I've thankfully worked for quite a few people before I became an entrepreneur that 
coached me and, and mentored me and led me into the right direction. And, and they didn't suppress my, my desire to learn more. There's a term out there, employeepreneur, where you are still an employee, but you have that entrepreneur mindset. And I think the more that we nurture that, and I think that you've alluded to that you, you nurture that mentality within your company so that someone who still desires to be an employee still can be an employee, but they treat the business like they were running it. And they want to see it succeed as much as you want to see it succeed. We, we constantly ask for feedback on our process, on the way we do things. And we've changed, made wholesale changes to a process or two because some entry level employee thought, well, why are we doing it this way? We'd be more efficient to do it that way. And we change it. Why wouldn't you? if it's a better way and we continually encourage them to bring things up if they see it and we may say there's a reason why we do it and i'm not going to tell you why or we may say huh that's a great idea let's change that the other thing when hurricane harvey came through the entire management team i was there on a saturday taking phone calls from tenants and owners making sure tenants were alive making sure the house wasn't flooded making sure owners knew whether or not their their house was okay or their tenant was okay. We were all up there taking calls. We had one email address everything was being funneled into and one phone number everything was funneling to and multiple phones were ringing and multiple computers were logged into one email and we were all taking calls and getting it done. You know, when when it hit the fan, we all had to work together and get, get it done. And they were they remember that. What are you doing right now uh, with your employees to try to keep the morale up? keep the spirit up, you know, overall just improve their outlook. You know, a lot of people, like we talked about, they're at home, feel isolated, they're bored, starting to get depressed. Just being in your house for extended periods of time can be depressing. And it can be made worse depending on wherever it is that you live with your you know, unique subsets and problems. But uh, what are some of the tools and suggestions you would give to people who are suffering from isolation right now? And, and what are some of the things that you've implemented within your own company to try to boost morale? You know, we have a done a whole lot uh, we do a weekly all hands zoom meeting and we give each other a lot of a lot of ribbing and things like that try to keep the, the that similar camaraderie that we've had at the office but we really haven't um, we we have planned a happy hour or a lunch as soon as, as soon as we're allowed to to, to convey that or uh, get that many folks together you know the government's telling us what we can and can't do right now i love that but we haven't done a whole lot, really, um, other than, you know, we continually, uh, you know, I have, I have one team that, that manages my personal rent houses and I, you know, brought up at our all-hands meeting in front of the whole group to how appreciative I was of the continual updates on my houses and things that that was really, that really made me feel good to know what was going on with all my houses. Um, you know, just kind of gave them a little pat on the back in front of the rest of the group. Um, we do a lot of video. Uh, we use a, a system called BombBomb, which is a, you can integrate video into yeah, video email. emails. So we, we've, we've increased BombBomb quite a bit to keep that face-to-face. But, you know, it, it, they seem to enjoy it. I mean, other than they, we miss each other, you know, mm. they seem to enjoy being at home. Um, but, yeah, that you, you kind of planted a seed in my head. I think I need to think about that a little more and maybe – uh, consider some some things to do to keep that level up. 
you know, if you get a chance, read Remote. It's it's a very short book. Um, yeah, I read it. I read it. Oh, you book. have read it. Okay. So, I mean, it, it does definitely give you some some pointers and tips on on how to keep company culture alive. I wanted to ask you about, you, you brought up the government and how they're essentially giving us permission and, and, you know, please, sir, may I have some more. What has been your outlook with essential employees or essential businesses being allowed to stay open and essentially the, the government telling us who can win and who can lose in this economy. We have big box who is selling maybe at, at most 25% to 30% of actual essential goods, but everything else is just open for them. Whereas you have service industries and you have other mom and pop small businesses who are just on the sidelines waiting, just, I mean, foaming at the mouth at this point in some locations where they're protesting with three percenters with, uh, with AR-15 saying, open up, open up, open up. What is your, what is your perspective on the government picking and choosing at this point? Yeah. You know, it's pretty interesting to say, you know, I, I have to, you know, have a two by four or I'm going to die this week. You know, I got to go to Home Depot and get a, get a two by four. Now, if, if you got a toilet that won't flush, you know, It'd be nice to be able to flush it, but you know, I can fix it with a paper clip and wait until it opens. But it's an interesting conversation. We could do an hour on this one, but uh, what they consider essential and not essential, it's it's a it's a puzzle to me what they decided was essential and not. Um, I just can't believe some of the things that they call essential. You know, I can't believe they won't let people cut get their hair cut. You know, that's the silliest thing ever. If they're going to let you go to, you know, Home Depot, why can't you get a haircut? So I don't know why we let them make any decisions. All they care about is getting reelected anyway. So you were you were a naval aviator, and I, I know you're familiar with, you know, alpha strike protocols and continuation of government and stuff like that, and, and the various steps the government would take to ensure the survivability of the nation. And I've, I've gone on many rants on the show recently about basically we've we've been paying since the 40s taxes that fund and subsidize various industries and procedures that facilitate continuation of government protocol okay. we made civil defense rations we've made humanitarian rations we made hospital ships for this you know we've made some sort of compatibility with you know, nuclear reactors on Navy ships to power uh, certain critical areas of the country just in case. But for whatever reason, the government is very keen on giving out actual aid. I'm talking about real aid, you know, food, uh, essential items and whatnot to anyone in the world who asks for it or has a need. But whenever America could probably use from those things, crickets, we end up now getting double charged where we've paid taxes for all of these goods we are not allowed to have. But at the same time, we're being charged when many people are out of work and they do have bills as a priority. Many people are out of work and maybe they have shortages in their area. Maybe the, you know, the food producers have uh, done away with large portions of their crops or livestock. And now they're struggling one way or another and no response, no aid, but they get the opportunity to go buy that aid from corporations that are deemed essential, you know, and it seems really strange. I've said on before, you, if you'd have told somebody during the bomber gap or the Cuban missile crisis that Sears, IBM, and Piggly Wiggly would have been responsible for the recovery and response effort 
people would have been rightly outraged. And I just wanted to get your opinion, you know, uh, coming from you know, somebody who, who does understand a thing or two about how these things work, you know, what you think about that. It almost seems as if it's a consolidation of the ogalopolis that we have in this country, eating up market share from the little guy. Yeah, they, um, you know, that goes right back to the who's essential and who's non-essential. You know, and they decide, they decide that their brother-in-law is essential, but the, the guy on the other side of the aisle is not. You know, the one of the things that interested me was I'm waiting for my refund on my school taxes. They should wonder how much I'm going to get back since they didn't have school for the last two months of, of the year, right? You know, they, they sure as hell collect those taxes. Yeah, we've been paying for decades for aid to go to countries that hate us. I'm, I'm a little jaded and a little frustrated. I'm, you know, being in the military, you know, it was management by crisis. They can't, I don't know, they can't manage their way out of a paper bag, to be honest. You know, it's interesting to see that, you know, you got a, what most people call a businessman in the White House versus a politician. And it's interesting to see the, the pushback that he's getting. Um, I'm not going to say I'm a giant Trump fan or a giant non-fan, but. You know, there's people that are just never Trump and they don't care how good or bad he does. They're just going to hate him. But uh, yeah, they're picking the winners and losers, like you said. And again, when I, I would disagree with you a little bit on the aid side when you can say, well, they're handing out money to everybody that needs it or wants it. The biggest the biggest uh, pain, I think, is for small business owners. Oh, no, I agree with that. Crushed. The yeah. individuals are getting handed money. No, I agree with that. Small business owners are getting crushed. My, my point was just that, you know, n not everything, when you have a logistics crisis, not everything can be solved with money. And, and basically, they, they, what I think they should have done is maintain critical infrastructure, shut everything down, critical infrastructure only. And then, you know, one of the ways we could have avoided a food shortage was to start to micromanage actual crops we had on the ground and livestock we had on the ground. The government does have power purse to do that. Yeah. They do have actual logistical aid and they've done a very good job making sure people have money and maybe deservingly or undeservingly. I agree with every, everything that you said on that. Um, but my, my, my issue is more of one of logistics and not finances. Yeah. I mean, look I, at, look at, uh, I have a problem with what they did with the unemployment and it's, it, yeah, it's been ridiculous. Well, the funny thing is they, they're continuing to want to prolong now. I'm, now I'm back to what's, what's in it for me, right? So as a landlord and as a person who represents landlords, landlords aren't this, this, you know, rich Mr. Burns, you know, that's got all these millions of dollars. They're, they're mom and pops for the most part. About 80% of rental, single family rentals are owned by mom and pops. Well, they're continuing these, you know, bans on evictions. You can't charge late fees. You can't evict anybody. And maybe we should cancel rent, maybe this and that. Well, what do you do about all these landlords that have mortgages? And what do you do all these landlords who can't pay their property taxes? You know, if you're going to not make anybody pay their rent or not make them do this, well, what's in it? You know, how are you going to, you're just going to make rent higher down the road if you screw the landlord today. So I don't know. I don't know why they, they pick. I, I guess I know why, because the tenant is the, the little guy in the equation, right? That they mm -hmm. can, make a better story and uh, it's class warfare landlord. it's it's, landlord. it's class big, big evil landlord you know yeah it's, it, they're just 
it, it's it's a continuation of the left's tactic of, of class warfare. Anytime they get a, a chance to initiate class warfare, it begins. Identity politics, class warfare, whatever. Any chance they get, they, they jump. Well, they say never let a good crisis go to waste, right? Absolutely. That's, that's their motto. What has been the hardest thing for you in the last 45 to 60 days to three months? What's been the hardest uh, hurdle for you guys to overcome? It hasn't been bad at all. Hmm. Um, we're losing a lot of revenue because a lot of people aren't moving as much as they normally would. Uh, so we're losing revenue from that. We're not allowed to charge late fees, but we're losing a lot of money on that because people pay late. It's, it's a contract. Um, so, you know, the government stepped in and said, you know what, this contract doesn't mean anything. This one over here does, but the one you made with your tenants doesn't. We, we're going to change the terms of your contract unilaterally and you can't charge what is owed. Um, but what we've seen more than anything is owners saying, how can I help my tenants and tenants paying their damn rent? That's great. It's been, it's been great. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's been fine. There's not a big challenge really other than, you know, the occasional nut job that wants their AC fixed in 15 seconds, you know, or something like that. But, you know, that's normal. Do you think this is across the board or do you think it's just because, is we live in a very courteous, polite, and respectful state. A lot of good folks here. Yeah. You know, our demographics are unique. Do you think it's? Do you think this is a Texas thing, or do you think we're seeing this type of unity and understanding across the nation at this point? I've seen it. You know, in my in my owners groups, left and right. You know, they're like, well, my tenants are paying like they always do. You know, my tenants are paying. My owners are are being as generous as I've ever seen. I can't believe it. I think it's kind of like this. You know, when you see the rent strikes story and the, you know, ban rent stories, it's not real. It may be real, but it's not significant enough to really affect many people at all. It's just a small little fringe group. And the landlords are going, how do I help my tenants? And my tenants are then the tenants are going, how do I pay my rent? And they're not part of that whole dialogue, right? They're just living their life and doing the best they can. And, and a landlord who can help is helping and the ones that can is struggling and making, you know, we just make sure the tenants pay the rent. I think that's really important that people need to hear that because the news can obviously have a, a negative uh, narrative that's, that's constantly being pushed. And uh, Mark Twain says, if you, if you don't read the newspaper, then you're misinformed or you're uninformed. If you do read the newspaper, you're misinformed. And so it, it's it's interesting that, you know, if you can just step away from the news and have actual conversations like these, then you might come away with a, bre- a better outlook on society as a whole, because you, you would think that there's riots in the streets happening right now over rent or mask versus no mask. And, and you just talk to the next person next to you and you're like, yeah, I think these masks are pretty silly. I wish I wasn't wearing one more right now. But my, my employer's making me, or if, you know, if you're at Tractor Supply or Walmart, they're making them. I know some restaurants have just pretty much said to hell with it. We're, we're not going to wear masks. And, and if you want to, you're, it, it goes back to the personal choice. If you want to, you can, we're not going to force you. I know that there's a restaurant here locally that was making their employees wear gloves and then use hand sanitizer on the gloves and wear the same gloves all day. And you just start to think, I'm like, how, how far do we go with this before we just take a step back and say, 
maybe we should just use hand sanitizer on our hands and be a little bit more due diligence with, with our cleanliness more so than we should have been or, or have been in the past. I saw a sign that said no gloves allowed. And it was, they said these, these gloves are meant to be used and thrown away. Yeah. They're not meant to be worn all day. If you're wearing them all day, you're just, you're just spreading stuff around. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself or even your team uh, during this whole situation? I was a little worried that folks were going to get home and, and not work as diligently as, as they do at the office. Cause I, I feel like there's a little more supervision going on, but I've talked to all of our supervisors and they're like, man, they love, they love working from home. We talk constantly on chat and, you know, we, we have a, a rule. If you, this is something that's kind of interesting. If you, if you set, we call it we, KPIs, key performance indicators, right? If you set certain things that they need to do, if our folks hit certain KPIs during the week, they, they get off at three o'clock on Friday. But if I had offered them a hundred bucks bonus, they wouldn't hit the number. You offer them two hours off on Friday. Boom. It's interesting awesome. that you would think the logical thing is more money is more important than two hours, but it's not. Because time and, uh, is something you can't get back. Right? It's more valuable to, to most people than money. Yeah. And they, hit, they are hitting their, their numbers, even though they're home, and we can't stand there and see if they're off or not. They're hitting their numbers so they can take off at three. Yeah. And they're hitting it more now than they did when they were at the office. That's amazing. I think there's less distraction. They're not sitting there across the room from each other saying, Hey, what about this? What they have to figure things out. And I think they're maturing as employees too, because uh, they have to problem solve because it takes more effort to type a question to their boss or pick up the phone and call their boss than just to figure it out. Yeah. There's the water cooler factor too. It's nice. Not, it's nice to get that, that two hours uh, off early and not have yeah. to have that Houston commute. You know, I'm I'm already home. I can just go ahead and chill now for two hours. Interesting. I'll get emails before and after work hour hours more than I used to because they they're you know they normally would leave at seven o'clock in the morning to get to work by eight fifteen eight thirty, and that eight o'clock they're working because they figure well, all right, I'm up. You know, I saw a great meme done. the other day that said I'm starting to sleep on the couch so my commute to work is much faster. <laughs> i'll tell you what this has been the greatest era of memes in a long oh time. yeah the internet does not so disappoint funny. rich if you had a billboard in houston right now that you could advertise not not your business but a message what is the message that you would want to give to people right now who are either down in the dumps or trying to figure out what their next pivot is going to be oh man don't do that to me caught me off guard on that one I'd have to think on that one. I could come up with a good one. Yeah. I think Clint's got one. What do you got, Clint? What would you say? I, man, I don't know. I have, I, I would actually have to think on it too. I would actually have to give it some thought. Well, because that's a great it, question though. It, it, it is. Yeah. I, I, my perspective on this, this ordeal changes daily. You know, <laughs> we get new information and whether it's good or bad, I'm just, I, I just, adapt and overcome and just move on yeah so. i mean you'd have to figure out a way to say on a billboard because you know the rule on a billboard is seven seven words or less but you want to be able to say look how important family is now 
Mm. Because think about how we slowed down a little bit. We're not rushing around everywhere trying to get to the next thing. And we're just together for long periods of time. And, you know, my wife and I, we've been together so long. There's not a whole lot more to talk about. So I would, I would probably say God, family, country, discipline, improvise, adapt, and overcome. I would, oh, I would gosh. Say that. Yeah, Seven words right confused. there, man. <laughs> I, I would say you got to you gotta convey, wow, look how great it is being with your family all the time. Mm. You got to understand how lucky we are that, yeah, this happened, but it did. It really did slow people down. It got them to spend more time with their family, their kids. There's people playing. You know, I have a buddy. He's he's going through three decks of cards playing gin with his wife. Wore them out. That's awesome. How fun is that? You know, just sitting around. You know, with this. You know, even though you do have a day's work to get done, you still have all these extra hours. I do more thinking and planning and sitting than I ever have. I'll go out by the pond for hours and just sit. You know, and let the animals run. And that's what we want to convey to the audience. You know, if, if this is your first show, if this is the first time that you're listening, that the feedback that we've gotten, like on our Facebook page is relatively negative. They're, you know, they're saying middle finger to your new normal, or they're saying screw your new normal or anything that's anything that's not normal is abnormal. And our, our retort to that is just always, if you listen to the show, you will understand that the new normal doesn't have to be this negative thing. If you change your diet, if you change your diet, it becomes a new normal that you don't eat certain things. If you change your perspective on a certain philosophy, or if you change your business model, that's a new normal. And that's not a bad thing. You can, can choose to dwell negative, in it. But it can be positive. Yeah. Just like anything. And I think if, if I was going to take that billboard challenge, I would say, were all of those things really a priority? and put that back onto the person to, to answer. Was everything else really a priority? And it sounds to me that based on your experience, you know, you're getting to spend more time with family. You're, you're actually learning about your kids, their interests. You're learning about yourself because you're getting that introspective time. You're not just looking at your phone constantly while you're sitting at a red light and, and seeing what the latest, you know, Instagram photo is. You're actually taking in that time. Uh, we, we talked about Ryan Holiday's books um, before the show and Stillness is the Key was one of the ones that I read uh, in that trilogy of books that really just from a philosophy standpoint, you can obviously, and, and depending on your, your, your religious point of view, you can get the same takeaways from the New Testament and, and even the Torah about being still and knowing that I am the Lord. If you choose to go a more secular philosophical route and you read some of Marcus Aurelius's work or Seneca's work and all the great philosophers always come back to that, that realization that if you just sit still, be with your thoughts and map things out, the obstacle becomes the way you, you, you start to figure out that COVID-19 wasn't the problem. It was my budgeting sucked really bad. And I need to figure out that I don't need to be spending these extra $500 a month because the average American is wasting $500 a month. So this, this opportunity, I know you've hesitated to use that word, but there truly is an opportunity in this whole situation to come out of a new normal that is positive for you. 
So I think personally, financially, you know, spiritually, all different ways. Is there yeah. is, is there any message uh, outside of the billboard? Is there anything that you would like to to convey to to the audience about you know what what they could be doing over the next few weeks, over the next few months, um, to start pivoting their their mindset and their businesses, whatever that business might be. Yeah, I think you you kind of summed it up with your atmosphere, what your situation is is not your problem. Your problem is lack of preparation for it or lack of uh, effort on your part for the most part. You know, people go broke. You know, the, the people that most Americans, like you said, they can't, they can't afford to miss one day of work or they're, they're going to miss bills. I, I don't understand how people live like that. And, you know, unfortunately, well, let's see. Well, 98% of the population do, right? So 98% of the population will be dead or dead broke by the time they're 65. And 2% of the population live life differently. They pay themselves first. Maybe, maybe, maybe this will change some people's outlook and they will actually plan. For the most part, people go back exactly the way they were before. And they'll spend every penny they have and be broke every single day of every single month. Um, hopefully this will change some people's outlook. And say, well, there's a really sad, there's a really sad reality that, God, I forgot what the actual percentage was, but I'm just going to say 60%, somewhere between 60 and 80% of people who pay off a debt, all of their debt, they become debt free, right? They're, they're on Instagram, they're on whatever, they're on the Dave Ramsey show screaming, I'm debt free, go right back into debt within, within two that. years. All right. All of, all of my uh, grandparents, um, you know, survived the depression or grew up as the GI generation of the greatest generation. Uh, they left something, you know, they left something and it, it, not just belongings, but they left financial security for a lot of their children and grandchildren. And they didn't do that because they, you know, went out to eat for every meal or because they threw away everything. They didn't have a disposable culture and they saved every penny they could and they lived well within their means. And they just, you were overall modest, uh, hardworking, uh, and saving. I don't, I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, they didn't really have a doomsday mentality, but they, no. you know, they had an, a scarcity mentality. And where, they have a, you know, don't waste mentality, right? Yeah. Not that they no such thing as a disposable culture. It's not that they needed something or didn't need it, but why buy a new one when the one I have works? Exactly. Why, and why it, get rid of it? It's fine. Or I could just fix it. You know, yep. why, why spend $200 when I can spend $10 in parts and a couple hours of my time and make it work? Again? I was at my you parents' know? house today and same toilets are in there that were there when I was there. And my dad and I fixed one of them, you know, he's there. My mother, I, I tried to tell her Tillamook cheese is awesome. It's the greatest cheese ever. It, it costs is good. More, it costs more, but it tastes that much better. Right. It's good. You know, there's certain things you can buy at the store, right? If you buy beans, beans are beans, right? But if you buy, you know, generic cheese or Tillamook, it's different. She's like, it's, well, yeah. I like the cheese that I buy right now. And if I don't know what I'm missing, I'm fine with the cheese I have now. And she's not going to go buy it. She won't try it because she might like it. And then it'll cost her more. But she has plenty of money. She could buy it. And she got a $1,200 vacuum because she wanted it, but <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't spend more on cheese because the cheese that she likes is fine. And why would I spend 
a dollar a pound more. I said, but it, it's that much better. It's just, I don't care. We bring up a good point too, because that, that, that was a generation that knew to buy once, cry once, you know, yeah. buy once, cry once, buy quality and keep yeah. it for life. And, and for whatever reason, man, my age group, uh, millennials and younger, um, I can't say, you know, me and my wife have been pretty broke. So we, in the past, and we, we do save things and I do fix things. I've got a good tool chest and, and I hold on to stuff, but I can't say that about everybody in my age group. And you have a good example though. Your I dad, did, yeah. Your I did have a good example. He does. And I did have a good example. And, um, you know, but everybody else is very disposable. The, the culture is very disposable and uh, they'll buy the same item four or five times because it's like, well, I don't want to move it, you know. I don't want to move it to my next apartment. Uh, I, you know, it, it has a crack in it and looks stupid and I'm going to get a new one. And it's just, I've never really done that. And I've been very fortunate that over time, even though I've been very broke, I've amassed really awesome uh, furniture and appliances and, and hardware and tools. Uh, whereas a lot of people haven't, I hope it really, I hope this is a, a reconsideration of our spending habits and what we find important and how we manage our, you know, logistics in our households. Yeah, I've never heard the buy one crowd once. That's so true. You spend more on quality and in the long run, you save. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to really thank you for coming on the show tonight, man. You're, a, you know, a personal friend. And I wanted to, you know, and I'm sorry I missed lunch with you and your son and, and Aggie Land uh, <laughs> last year. I, I had something come up last minute. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of hate right now on landlords. You know, I see it all over the internet and don't get me wrong. There's nasty landlords out there. It's, it's like any other profession, right? Uh, but you're, I wanted to put a face to one and let you talk about what it was that you were doing and how you were helping your tenants and how, you know, we really are all in this together. Basically everyone's having to deal with this in one way or another. And, not every, you know, profession that you, you deem to be part of the 1% or in law enforcement or whatever, and not, they're not allowed to get you. And then most of them are normal people and they're just trying to make it like you. Yep. Absolutely. So I, I really appreciate you coming on and putting a face to it. And uh, it's a great show. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Sal, it's a pleasure to meet you as well. Very good to meet you. As always, ladies and gentlemen, stay safe and welcome to the new normal.